0: Join me in the responsive reading that is printed in your order of service, The Fountain by Denise Levertov. Don't say, don't say there is no water to solace the dryness at our hearts. And I too, before your eyes, found footholds and climbed to drink cool water. Don't say, don't say there is no water. The fountain is there among its scalloped gray and green stones. The reading this morning comes from the book, A People So Bold, Theology and Ministry and Unitarian Universalism. And this quote is from a chapter by the Reverend Victoria Safford. The church exists in part to remember, to rescue from a vast silence, the stories that might not otherwise be heard to ask questions that might not otherwise be asked, to celebrate the victories and mourn losses that might otherwise be forgotten, to bless what might go unblessed. This remembering, this naming of truth, the consecration of stories forgotten, forbidden, or hidden, both terrible and beautiful, is the sacrament of the living word." Victoria then tells the story of a lynching of three African American men in Duluth in 1920. They were circus workers who were dragged from the jail where they were imprisoned on charges of raping a white woman. She writes, "'It did not take very long for the mob of citizens to gather themselves around a murderous idea. Not even the circus could have brought out 10,000 people without notice. Evil was easily organized, as it so often is, from the fragments of possibility that lie around ever ready, the tiny, sharp shards of potential, the fertile seeds that exist in each of us. Of the 10,000, few were masterminds. Most were merely spectators, carrying no weapons, no premeditated coils of rope. However, it's not always easy to draw those lines. So often, evil shows itself not as a monolith, but as a delicate mosaic Composed of a great many very small pieces. Each person had been prepared, each person in the crowd had been prepared for what he or she did that night by the songs and stories and by the echoing silence of stories untold. Just a few weeks ago, I had the great privilege to accompany my parents and my daughter on a civil rights tour in Georgia and Alabama. And here are just a few snapshots of what we experienced. In Atlanta, we went to the Martin Luther King Jr. National Historic Site. A part of that is the old church, Ebenezer Baptist Church. The old sanctuary is preserved exactly as it was when Dr. King was a pastor there. The walls are kind of salmon colored and when you go in and sit down, they're playing recordings of him preaching. It's, uh, I was just overcome. I just sat there and wept for a while and Fia looked at me like, what's with you? He was such an amazing pastor. There at the center, there's a, what they call the International Civil Rights Walk of Fame. And there are, oh, I don't know, 40 or 50 granite uh, markers in the ground with footprints of civil rights leaders. And, and there's everyone from uh, uh, Ralph Abernathy and Desmond Tutu and uh, Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton. I mean, I mean you, you look there and you go, oh, look, there they are. It's a little bit like... Uh, not quite like Grauman's Chinese Theater. It's a little more inspiring than that. And I have two great photos of Fia standing literally in the footsteps of Rosa Parks and of Marian Wright Edelman. In Birmingham, we visited Kelly Ingram Park, where, which was the site of many of the civil rights demonstrations, the anti-segregation demonstrations. And now all around the park, there are these statues marking moments of uh, the events in in Birmingham, there's uh, a statue of the, the menacing police dogs. It's this large wall of bronze, and leaping out of the wall is one of these huge police dogs. So you can stand next to it and feel the size of that menacing presence. You see the fire hoses uh, and, and statues of the children that were involved in the Children's March, and carved out of a huge... Gray granite boulder are three kneeling, praying African-American clergymen in their robes, and they symbolize the central role of the church as both the moral and the practical compass of the civil rights movement. Right across the street from Kelly Ingram Park is 16th Street Baptist Church, where in September of 1963, four young African-American girls were murdered by a bombing which today continues as a working church. It is not a mausoleum or a museum. It is there doing the work, the sacred work, of promoting dignity and equality, of preaching a word of salvation in an environment that is brutalized by addiction and economic disparity. The daily reminder on the wall down in this busy church basement on June 28th was "Live." Sorry, love strong, forgive strong, believe strong. Across the street from that is the Civil Rights Institute, a beautiful museum really quite remarkably displayed and tells, really gives a lot of context of the African American experience from the days of slavery to today and how the civil rights movement in the United States influenced movements around the world, including the apartheid movement and the solidarity movement. And where a stark, white, KKK robe frightened all of us, especially FIA, and where we stood there witnessing the presence of evil. And there was a horrific image of a lynching that she wishes and I wish she had not seen. And I wonder how those images will live with her. She turned nine on that day when we were there. I wonder how those images will live with her in her life, how, how they'll inform her whoever she becomes in the world. I asked her if I could tell this story, and she said yes. In Montgomery, we visited the wonderful Rosa Parks Museum and Library, and I asked the docent there, what became of the bus driver who put Mrs. Parks off the bus in 1955? Did he ever apologize? You know, so much attention was focused on Montgomery, in the 13 months of the bus boycott following that event, did he ever speak about it? And, and the docent said that he eventually was instrumental in helping black bus drivers. When the bus company finally hired black bus drivers, he helped them receive their proper pensions. Made a point of saying that we can't demonize him. We all have good and bad in us. Love strong believe strong, forgive strong." In Montgomery, we saw the white state capital. It's it's white. A lot of the buildings in downtown Montgomery are white, white, where George Wallace, uh, in his inaugural address of 1963, uttered his famous segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. And just a few blocks away from that is the Southern Poverty Law Center, where the Civil Rights Memorial sits. It's a beautiful circle, circular table of black granite designed by Maya Lin, the same artist who designed the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Wall in Washington. And and water flows across the top of this black granite table and around the edges of it, engraved around the edges of it, are the names of the events and the martyrs in the civil rights movement where Unitarian Universalists Reverend James Reeb and laywoman Viola Gregg Liuzzo are counted among the martyrs. And then the road to Selma. We drove down Jefferson Davis Memorial Highway no kidding and across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Now, now we were walking into not just our national history, but as a new minister, I was walking with the ghosts of exemplars, those who call me to places that I am not sure I am willing to go. Here's what happened in Selma in 1965. Selma had one of the lowest voter registration numbers of African-Americans in the whole South. Less than 2% of eligible African-Americans were registered to vote. So King and the Southern, Leadership, Southern Christian Leadership Conference focused on Selma as a place where they were going to raise awareness and do a voter registration drive. In February, King was arrested along with some 500 children and young people. And King said, there are more Negroes in jail with me than are on the voting rolls. On February 26th, a black teenager named Jimmy Lee Jackson was killed by a white sheriff in nearby Marion, Alabama. And a protest march was organized in Selma. That was to take place on March 7th. On Sunday, March 7th, some 600 marchers started across the Edmund Pettus Bridge that leads out of Selma toward the capital of Montgomery. State police beat back the marchers. They trampled them with horses and they fired tear gas. This is the event that becomes known as Bloody Sunday. And the news of this was broadcast around the nation. Dr. King sent telegrams to religious leaders and organizations all around the country, including the Unitarian Universalist Association, pleading for them to come to Selma on Tuesday. The next day, March 8th, young Unitarian Universalist urban minister, Reverend James Reeb of Boston, answers the call and goes to Selma. Reeb lived and worked in Boston's black neighborhood as a director of a low-income housing program. He lived this work, and he understood that his presence as a white minister would help showcase the breadth of the activist coalition. When his wife, Marie, told her husband she didn't want him to go, he responded that he belonged in Selma. This is the kind of fight I believe in. Some 450 religious leaders, including 40 UU clergy, came to Selma. On Tuesday, March the 9th, they organized this second march. They started across the bridge, and it was agreed in advance that they would go part way across. They would stop just before they got to the state police, the state troopers. The crowd led by Dr. King and these other clergy knelt down and prayed and sang, We shall overcome, and turned around and went back. It became known as Turnaround Tuesday. Reeb was part of that group. He had planned to leave town that night. He put his suitcase and his coat in the back of somebody's car and then everybody went to Brown Chapel. That was the church that was really the center of the civil rights movement in Selma and Dr. King was there speaking about his plan for what happens next and he pleaded with everybody to stay. So Reeb decided he would stay. He went to dinner with two other UU clergy Reverend Orloff Miller and Clark Olson. They went to Walker's Cafe, which was a historically black restaurant. Of course, they couldn't eat at any of the white restaurants in town because they wouldn't serve civil rights workers, but they didn't want to eat at the white restaurants in town because they wouldn't serve black people at those restaurants. So Walker's Cafe became, in this time, this oasis of like-mindedness. In the midst of great hostility, people talk about how they could really feel the hostility of the locals. They really hated the outsiders coming in. One was quoted as saying, they try to shove something down your throat and it don't go down easy if it ain't greased. Walker's restaurant served black and white together. The ministers finished their meal tiny little tables they say they were just these tiny little tables they sat out and the place was packed they left the restaurant to walk back to their lodgings on the black side of town and three white men approached them calling them names racial epithets and one of them swung either a club or a pipe at reeb smashing into his head above his left ear fracturing his skull He was taken to the black infirmary. The white hospital would not receive him. And a rickety ambulance headed out of town to take him to the hospital in Birmingham. The ambulance had a flat tire and pulled off the side of the road. And a carload of white men pulled up behind them and stopped. It was not safe to get out. So the ambulance turned around and rolled back into Selma on its tire rim and they found another ambulance. The white car followed them. It was after 11 p.m. by the time they made it to Birmingham, nearly four hours after the beating. I don't know why they didn't go to Montgomery, which is closer. Maybe there weren't hospital facilities they could access, but the black infirmary told them they needed to go to Birmingham. By coincidence, the next day, the UUA Board of Trustees was meeting in Boston, and they decided that they too must bear witness. They met in Boston, convened their meeting, adjourned from the table in Boston, and traveled en masse to Selma, where they reconvened the UUA Board meeting on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Marie Reeb was notified, and she traveled to Birmingham, and when she arrived on March 11th, she agreed to have James taken off life support, and he died on March 11th in Birmingham. The country was outraged, and protests erupted in cities all over the country. On March 15th, Dr. King conducted the memorial service for James Reeb at Brown Chapel, in Selma, and by that time, two-thirds of the working ministers, UU ministers, came to Selma. Two-thirds of ministers that were serving churches left their homes and came to Selma, along with thousands of other clergy and laypeople. One of those laypeople was Viola Greg Liuzzo, a student and mother and housewife from Detroit. On March 21st, just two weeks after Bloody Sunday, President Lyndon Johnson sent the National Guard to Selma to protect the marchers, and some 3,000 of them finally made it across the Edmund Pettus Bridge on the way to Montgomery. It takes four days for a portion of that marchers to reach Montgomery. They agreed that they wouldn't all do it because it would clog the highway but it took them four days to reach the capital. They were protected. And in Montgomery, 25,000 people descended on the Capitol. entertainers, activists, and marchers, and clergy, to rally for voting rights and civil rights. That evening, Villaliluzzo was driving some of those marchers back to Selma when her car was run off the road by a load a carload of Klansmen, who pulled alongside her white Oldsmobile and shot her directly in the head. These events helped to hasten the passage of the Voting Rights Act. President Lyndon Johnson sent it to Congress in March. It finally passed both houses of Congress in July, and he signed it into law on August 6th of 1965. Our minister emeritus, Reverend John Cummings, was in Selma. He answered the call with so many of his colleagues to join the fight. And when John and I met this week, he told me that he remembered the hatred of the white segregationists and feeling the solidarity with African Americans with whom these ministers had stayed. They were basically sealed off in the African American section of town, and they were trained. You know, this was nonviolent uh, resistance training, and so they were trained to approach the barricades where these whites who had been deputized stood with truncheons and shotguns. And so The ministers and other civil rights workers were trained to be 20 abreast, link arms, to walk up to the barricades to say into the faces of these hateful white people, I love you, and peel off and go to the back while the next group came up. And they just did it for hours. I love that story. He also told me that on the day of Barack Obama's election as the first African-American president, the UUA sent flowers to the families of James Reeb and Viola Liuzzo, acknowledging that without the sacrifice of these civil rights activists, along with many others, that this moment would not be possible. We have drawn from this well For 46 years, we claim it proudly as well we should as the time when we were called to stand on the side of love, to reach our moral core and say this is right and this is wrong and will not stand and we will stand for what is right. And now we have another opportunity to stand on the side of love and justice. You may know that next summer, our General Assembly will be held in Phoenix. After much debate and a proposed boycott, should we go, should we not go, plans are going ahead for what is being called the Justice GA. But it's not without controversy. What does it mean? to do the minimal amount of denominational business, which is what the General Assembly in Minneapolis voted on. We'll go, but we'll only do the minimum amount of business. It won't be business as usual. And we'll stand and protest the draconian immigration laws that are on the books now in in Arizona. Whose vision of planning will be honored Some people have recently resigned from the GA Planning Committee over concerns of interference by the board and a lack of direction. And the board has countered that the Planning Committee needs additional support. There's plenty to read about this online, perhaps more than you want. And yet the conditions and the plight of undocumented immigrants in Arizona gets worse. Those silent, forbidden, and hidden stories that would be lifted up by religious community continue to pile up. I asked Reverend Cummins how how it felt to be in the middle of it when they didn't know how it was going to turn out. And he just said he knew he needed to go, whatever would be. Dr. King said that life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? Life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? He said, living is a form of not being sure, not knowing what next or how. The moment you know how, he said, you begin to die a little The not knowing how is part of the strength of moving forward. From our vantage point, looking into the well where it all happened before me, before many of us, it looks like they knew how. They didn't know how, but they did it. They put their feet there. We don't know what will happen in Phoenix yet. Heck, I don't even know what I think about the issues We certainly know we need federal immigration reform. Do I believe that until that time, such a time as we have federal immigration reform, that states can't figure out what they need to do on their own? I don't know. I don't think they're doing it right. But I'm not educated on the issue yet. And that's part of what the call is to me, to educate myself on the issue. Certainly seeing the films, this work that, that we're doing in collaboration with other congregations is important. Will I go to GA next year or will I boycott it? At the service of the living tradition, I will receive preliminary fellowship. Justin Schroeder will receive his final fellowship into the Association of Universalist, Unitarian Universalist Ministers. It's a big deal. What will it mean to go or not go? We're not being asked to put our lives on the line in Phoenix. We're being asked to come and witness in the hot desert. We're being asked to renew the, the magnetic pole of our moral compass. Is this the kind of fight that we believe in? The mosaic of evil, those tiny, sharp, Shards are as often made of apathy as they are of malice, and they poison this sacred well of memory. King was quoting Unitarian minister Theodore Parker when he said that the arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice. And Barack Obama said it doesn't bend by itself. It bends because we put our hands to it and bend it toward justice. This well does not renew itself. We put our souls into it. We put the work of our hands and our feet and our mouths and the songs of our hearts into it. We have an opportunity to prepare for Phoenix, whether we go or not. We have an opportunity as a congregation, as an association, to serve as a prophetic witness, just as we did In Selma. Let us be about the task.